0: The chess pit. Sponsored by Playfair Capital, rethink the way you live and work. Hello and welcome to The Chess Pit, the podcast in which three guys talk about chess occasionally. I'm John McKenzie and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Phil Makepeace. Hello. And my other good friend, Chris Russell. Hello. How's everyone doing?
1: Yeah, okay this week. Um, the government are being useless, as we know. Uh,
0: I mean, they've been useless us for a good number of years now.
1: Well, yeah, I feel like we're we're actually just used to everything now. But I had my birthday on Saturday. Wasted a Saturday because I won't get another Saturday birthday until I'm uh, thirty-seven now, and I would have quite liked to have just been in the park with some cans. It was a very nice day as well.
2: Will we still be in lockdown for your next Saturday birthday?
1: It's very plausible. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe six years time we'll be we'll be uh, having a Zoom party. But <laughs>
0: do you get a s- Sunday birthday next year? Is that how it works, or is it the other way around? Does it go backwards?
1: No, it goes yeah, it goes one forwards, except um, on leap years where it skips. So
0: we just had a leap year, right? So there's not yeah. one for a while. So so you got a Sunday birthday next year. I don't know what you're complaining about, to be honest. <laughs> 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 Did you have a good birthday though?
1: I did. We went on a, had a nice uh, supper made for me for my father-in-law and um, saw my parents who are quarantined. So I'm doing groceries for them every Saturday anyway. So it was uh, sort of tied that in with it. And uh, my fiance made me a a lemon drizzle cake, which was made made an appearance last night on our stream um, where I played first of all blitz against Mike Meadows.
0: You lost again.
1: I lost again. I lost four and a half, two and a half. It's almost
0: like you don't want to give money to charity and I'm starting to be quite suspicious (laughs) of this.
2: Yeah, particularly given you lost a mic as well. I mean, there's obviously something up here.
1: Well, I, I allowed him to have a draw twice when I would have flagged him otherwise. So I think from next week when we do the first of floor charity blitz, I'll do a 3 plus 2 rather than 5 plus 0. So I don't have any of this kind of charity flagging where, yeah, I'm just kind of one of us is letting the other off because we don't feel like it. So okay. I think that seems sensible. Everything okay with you, Chris?
2: Yeah, not too bad. I've been enjoying researching this week's crystalry uh, got a little bit of uh, double link hopefully this week for you guys to enjoy uh that
1: john did you enjoy our our lesson on the person who is uh, going to be featured in Christory?
0: Mm, yes i always enjoy our lessons starting to pick up off some tips um, and i'm passing them on to my nephew actually i gave my first chess lesson last week to my 7 oh, nice. uh, year old nephew and have now taught him everything i know in 40 minutes so <laughs> is he already beating you <laughs> uh, yeah he'll be beating me by next year i reckon so
1: well, at the current rate, he'll be drawing against you when he's 13, as, we're, as well. We know from previous episodes. <laughs> oh
2: yeah. Regardless of whether he was better than you when he was 12, take <laughs> yeah. a dip at age 13. No shame in drawing with a 13-year-old, as, as my chess <laughs> mantra
0: goes. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that we've managed to crowbar that reference in again yet another <laughs> week but we should we should begin with our um new feature which is hugh's views so hugh hugh is hugh Brecken, is that his name hugh Brecken? breckin breckin oh
1: as in breckin city surprise but not, you. As it,
0: but not as in the Brecken beacons well that's spelled like, differently john yeah i don't know how hugh breckin is spelled i'm i'm ashamed to say um but i you learn something new every every day um and hugh is the lead singer i believe of spy law who uh, will have pl- just played out the, the dulcet tones of their um, theme tune to this podcast. So if you uh, enjoyed that, do go and check out Spylaw. But um, Hugh, every week, gives us a view, and this is this week's Hugh's View. There She Goes by The Lars is a functionally perfect pop song. <laughs> is that true? I,
1: th- I think so, I think... Uh,
0: what does functionally perfect mean?
1: Uh, I, that That's something you might have to ask him, but...
0: I mean I would have thought a lot of pop songs are functionally perfect, right? Insofar as they function as pop songs.
1: I I guess I think that's maybe the the idea here that um it there are there isn't a sort of better pop song maybe, in terms of just yeah. having something that's got maybe it's that kind of ubiquitous appeal. I don't know.
2: I'm not sure we're in any position to question Hugh's views. I think we should just sort of let them go as stone-cold fact each week.
1: He might <laughs> be able to get away with quite a lot then if we, if we leave things unchallenged.
2: Yeah, okay. We might have to call him into question sometimes.
0: I mean, I don't get me wrong, I quite like There She Goes by the Lars, but I don't know. I'm now trying to think of like a perfect pop song and I'm not entirely sure I can. I mean, what is a perfect anything, really?
1: One that has completely widespread appeal and one that is completely inoffensive
0: what do you think is the most popular song right now in the world
1: when can i leave my house when <laughs> can i leave my house um we might record that as a as a b-side on on the um, the sweet caroline version of the fide regulations on coronavirus from the other week um i don't know <sighs> what what is the i am not completely up to date with with things at the moment on the uh, in the pop scene i mean neither
0: it's it's weird isn't it cuz like presumably i mean i guess pop pop songs will still continue to be made but there are other facets of popular culture that just die when no one can get outside like, for example, films. Like, there's going to be no films for a while, right? Yeah. And I, I saw that soap operas are like worried because they're running out of back material. So there's just but, going to come a point where they just have to kill off everyone in EastEnders.
2: Stuff can still come out straight to Netflix in that sort of format. There's still some sort of film market, surely. Well, I guess you can't film them though, can you? That's the issue. These
1: are the things that were already being done. You'd assume yeah. several yeah, months okay.
0: ago, unless you just all film the separate parts in your in your own home and then CGI them all together.
1: Yeah, maybe we've got a chance for next year's Oscars given there's going to be nothing coming out in the relevant period at the moment. What we're
2: going to film one of our podcast episodes and submit it for best picture. <laughs> we should make a chess film. It's my I
0: told you it's my uh, new life goal to get a film with a with a piece from a chessboard in the title. So, there we go. Let's think of a let's think of a plot and, and let's go for it. We're on dangerous ground with some of the pieces. But, uh um <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> anyway, it's the beginning of an episode, and therefore Phil has a quiz.
1: Phil does have a quiz, but first he has some feedback, which I offered out to one person at the end of last week's episode, um, our friend in Cambodia, who um, we've since found out. He got in touch, and I'm so pleased. Um, it was a really good message to receive. Um, turns out it's a guy from southwest London who's out there <laughs> doing a, a sort of tour of Asia, and... Um, He's stuck because of the uh, what's going on, and he's just in Phnom Penh. And he did um, tell me a little bit actually about chess in Cambodia, because I was I sort of had a little look and seen that there weren't any or many or any chess players in Cambodia as such. And he said that they have their own version of chess called Ook. So I imagine it's sort of similar insofar as Japan's this massive country that just doesn't have any chess culture because they have shogi and go instead. Or maybe just shogi. Um, But yeah, so he's just out there and um, a bit stuck and he's been using us to help him get through, which it seems very (laughs) bold and uh Mm. i'm not sure
2: about that i don't think i need that level of responsibility did he go out there for the
0: the beach lifestyle clubbing on the beach and now he's just gonna have to listen to us In his ears instead.
1: Yeah, maybe we should do uh, move to a a daily episode instead. (laughs) Maybe we could get him to become our first Patreon or something. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Phil does have a quiz. And uh, Phil has a quiz again with a sporting theme, sporting bent related to current chess players. So this week's quiz is there is one member, one current member of the world top 100 chess players who shares his name with a Formula One world champion. There is one member of the current World Top 100 chess players who shares their surname with a Formula One world champion. Who is that? Just a surname. Yeah, just a surname. Wow. And that's it. That's your question, everybody at home. Chris and John. I don't know. Chris, I think you know a little bit about Formula One. John, I have no idea. We haven't ever discussed it. But again, this is one of my my great loves really yeah not now but as was (laughs) basically anything you could get on BBC back in the day I'd be I'd be on it like Sonic on a Sunday afternoon so athletics Formula One
0: well there we go I've um I'm struggling to concentrate now because I'm trying to think of world uh, Formula One World Championship drivers and, uh, and then trying to work out who could plausibly be a top 100 player in chess. So um, I'm sure the, the listeners will be doing the same and thus won't concentrate on the next uh, 20 minutes of this. But there we go. It's
2: probably for the best, isn't it?
0: we do need to talk about the carlson invitational because we didn't talk about it last time and it is now over so who wants to give us some uh, of a summary of the carlson invitational
2: uh carlson invited some people carlson won the tournament (laughs) next question
1: that was pretty much it really um yeah it didn't really it went completely to form really i think yeah carlson beating nakamura but yeah, it's over and it's done and that's the thing. I think that's why we forgot to do it last week because there wasn't any real scandal or intrigue with it. It was a very good tournament, I think, um, to give it its due. Uh, I think it did run a little bit too long, as I, in my opinion anyway, um, as I intimated before the tournament in our little preview. But uh, I think Chris later is going to deal with what comes next, I guess.
2: Yeah, there's a sort of spin-off tournament. Uh, It feels a little bit like that's coming up. But yeah, we'll come to that shortly, I imagine. So,
0: what's everyone's general thoughts then about this, the whole the whole format of the of the Carl, Carlson Invitational? Because it was sort of pegged as being this groundbreaking tournament, but how how do you feel? Because it didn't feel hugely different to me in many respects. Um, because obviously, when when I watch a tournament, it's it's pretty much presented in exactly the same way. I mean, obviously, they're all in their own rooms and stuff, but it didn't seem to me to be all that different. Which I suppose is successful in its own way, is it?
2: Yeah, perhaps. That's a good way to think about it, that it uh, still maintained a kind of this is a chess tournament, nothing's changed too much, uh, despite the fact the circumstances are so different everywhere else. But it did seem to get some mainstream media attention in a way that I don't remember any tournament doing apart from perhaps the candidates and then the world championship matches as and when they come around. That I read a few things in The Guardian. I know Sean, who's been on the podcast a few weeks back, uh, wrote a kind of summary article as well in The Guardian.
1: Yeah, and the fact that it was match play, and it was there was a slightly different um, bent to it than your normal kind of round robin, but I feel like if you have more players, it might actually be better. Where if you did it almost like a, if you had it almost like a Swiss, like that, a match play Swiss type thing, where you had your three points for a win in the in the main match, and then two points if you win on Armageddon, and then just had this as you as you go, that would quite could be quite an interesting format to yep. go forward and just expand it into into more
0: players. Did they play it in the format that they did as in with time controls
2: just because of the cheating element? I think as we talked about last week, I'm not sure they worry so much about the cheating in game integrity at that elite level mm-hmm. that the just the reputations are too too big that to want to risk in one a sort of one off event like this. I think it's probably not something that came into too much consideration.
1: No, because the eighth place player still got like fifteen grand or something. If you came last, you still got a decent chunk of money. So it wasn't like there was they were getting. You know, that's that's the thing with opens around the around the world yeah. that grandmaster can still get like an appearance fee. Um,
2: but they're really top heavy. They're a bit like poker tournaments, aren't they? That you've got that kind of very uh, the price structure is very much weighted towards that top end and making the last few.
0: Do you think then that it's just a case of sexing it up? Is there this sort of belief that quicker chess is more palatable to kids and therefore will be more popular?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, it's definitely easiest to commentate on. And making sure you can squeeze an entire day's play into a couple of hours is definitely a positive for the coverage. Um, but I don't think it it is, as you said, I don't think it felt different. I don't think there was a particular... You still had the same faces and voices doing the commentary on the same websites. You just yeah. could see the players in hoodies instead of <laughs> like at a board. That was that was it really, and maybe maybe that is a a good thing for the future. This, the sort of uh, having players in, as we said last week, in their in their sort of sweatpants and hoodies and pajamas and getting caught indoors as Chris did, and all of yeah. this. Yeah, have you caught yourself <laughs> in the door any point since the last week's? Recording. No,
2: I've learnt my lesson and changed up my trouser game, so I'm no longer at risk of door snagging. There we go.
0: That seems like a quite extreme solution to the problem.
2: <laughs> just,
0: yeah. Rather than just avoid door handles. No. <laughs> there was some, wherever Magnus Carlson goes, invariably there always is beef, but there was some uh, chess.com
2: beef with Carlson's. Yeah, this all seemed very, very unnecessary to me, that chess.com kind of aired what probably ought to have been a private communication publicly and Carlson struck back. Um, Phil did you read the specifics of it?
1: Yeah so Carlson declined to play in one of their invitational tournaments Uh, and then Chess.com publicized the reason which was that um, they couldn't afford his appearance fee but they went into detail about the amounts and the amount that carlson wanted compared to everyone else which is absolutely his right as the world champion as the sort of premium yeah. player who is who is not just um not just the world's best player but also as far as i'm aware not contracted to or associated with chess.com in any way he's
2: well far, completely the opposite isn't it he's a direct competitor to them that chess 24 in and direct chessable. competition yeah yeah
1: um so Fair enough. Why shouldn't Carlson sort of want a bit more to play in someone else's tournament? And then Chess.com have like come out and said this about three days afterwards. Like Danny Wrench and these guys need to get their marketing game going because that's really unimpressive to just have this.
2: um... Yeah, and also of all the people to call out as well, you know that Carlson's not just going to sit back and take it. He's going to come back at you if he feels like he's been wronged as well. It just seems so ill thought through the whole concept from chess.com's perspective.
1: Yeah, the 3 days the 3 days was the apology, the amount of time it took them for apologize rather than okay. else, yeah. yeah. Which is not good. Was it no.
2: a lot of money that he was
0: wanting more than
1: that treble others
0: more than they offered or more than the next person
2: down?
1: Might possibly even be the both, but yeah, um it's, it's something out of nothing.
2: Yeah, I mean, in all sort of sporting fields, you would imagine that the world champion or the world elite, they must have a different structure for their fee scale. I, it just doesn't seem unreasonable for Carlson to want uh, a different structure, even if you take out the direct competition element of it.
0: Well, any player can ask for however much they want to appear in a tournament, right? Yeah. But I yeah, guess yeah. The, what you're saying is that, that, that you can hardly expect... Carlson to feel uh, magnanimous towards Chess. dot com now, yeah. given the way yeah. that they've dealt with them and that's, I guess, that's their. That's not even, it's not even like a PR thing for them. It's like, it's a question of them being able to get Carlson onto their um, platform at any point in the future. You know, you, fair enough, if he doesn't want to do it, you just take that, you either offer him the money that he wants or you don't, and you accept he has that right
2: to to ask for that, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you don't then go and spread it around publicly. It mm. just doesn't, none of it makes sense to me. I don't know what they were trying to achieve there, really. Mm. Did
0: you want to talk to us about the Steinitz Memorial? Was that was that your talking point?
2: Yeah, so it's a sort of essentially to me, it feels like it's a, a knockoff version of the Carlson Invitational. That the prize pool is smaller. The players who've been invited are not, with the exception of Carlson, are not quite in the same tier. I guess the benefit is that it's got a separate women's section, and that's something that was notably absent from the Carlson Invitational. I think that's a, a step in the right direction. So this one is a FIDE tournament, but it's still being run through Chess24. Um, and it's set up in two groups, so a men's and a women's section of uh, 10 players. And it's a double round robin of Blitz games um, spread over three or four days, I think. And I noticed also Skybet are offering a market for it, because I uh, quickly checked as I was googling around. Uh, do you want have a punt at what Price Carlson is for the tournament.
1: So 10 players.
2: 10 player. Um, second seed being Grischuk.
1: Third seed being? Bu Yangji. So he's what, 27-20, something like that?
2: Yeah, that's sort of ballpark.
1: All right, he's probably something like 1-4. to four.
2: John, do you want to have a punt? 1-2. to two. Okay, I don't know why I asked you, John, unfortunately, because Phil got it spot on with his <laughs> first guess that it is one to
1: 1-4. I honestly hadn't looked.
2: Um, and then Grischuk, second favourite at 9-1. to one.
1: Is that right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, And yeah, I just, it sort of seems, I don't know what they're aiming for really here. It just seems a kind of watered down version of the tournament we just had a few days ago. Um, So kind of shorter format blitz games, but not really offering too much extra beyond that. Apart from Svidler's in the field, which I guess is a big tick in its direction. I'm happy about seeing him there.
1: I'm not sure it is because it means he won't be commentating.
2: Oh, that's also true. Unless he can do both.
1: Maybe he can. Maybe he can do a sort of banter blitz style. (laughs) That'd be really good. But you said it's FIDE doing this.
2: Yeah, that's my understanding is that they announced it. So I think they must have some organisational role and just that Chess24 is the platform, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. FIDE have been very quiet lately because the people controlling the world chess happenings are the the three big websites and Carlson himself. FIDE have been notably absent from the Carlson Invitational or anything since the candidates.
2: And if you look at the scale of the prize pool, I mean, Carlson's came in at 250,000 and this one has a 30,000 euro prize pool. And I'm not even sure that might be with both events combined. I'm not sure if it's 30,000 in each pool or whether it's combined. I couldn't work that one out. But either way, I mean, it's a fraction of what was being offered to the Carlson Invitational.
1: And that's something that might happen for a few months yet. Uh, where it's private companies and private individuals who are the major stakeholders in the future of the game at the moment. And that, I think, is partly why we've been talking so much about online cheating and how that happened, because it's not FIDE driving this. It's not the World Federation it's private companies and private individuals and everyone's got their own strategy to deal with online cheating. Um,
2: Yeah, I guess that's true. If you get banned from one of the sites, what's stopping you from setting up an account on another in a way that if you've been banned in person, you couldn't do?
1: Yeah, I believe yeah. you've got a potential feature for us uh, very soon on uh, sort of online integrity.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm in the research phase with uh, somebody who's involved directly in this, from, but from a poker perspective and game integrity. And I hope that to put something together in the next week or two to kind of tie the two together, hopefully, and learn some lessons from poker that's obviously been dealing with this exact problem, but on a much higher profile scale for a long time now.
0: Mm. I've got Chris Tree next on our running order, but Chris has just done a little stint. So maybe we should jump to the next section and then we can go back. So, um, Phil, talk to, us, talk to us about how our dear listeners can choose a chess coach.
1: Yeah, so this was um, suggested to us via Twitter and as a topic
2: am i right in saying it was mike harris from bristol who got in contact with us? there we go
1: yes it was i think so so yeah the it was something that i've never really thought about from a i mean we've marketed ourselves chris and i have our own our own coaching company and we've marketed ourselves in various ways but we've not i don't think we've ever really thought about what makes us a good coach why we're like I think we can offer various things from a personal perspective. Yeah. Trying to generalize that into something, some kind of recipe for mm. having a, a sort of general idea of what a good coach might be. And so I've been thinking about this a little bit. And the... My sort of conclusion, I'll start with the conclusion and then we can go into the detail. Um, my conclusion is that you almost want like a kind of therapist for your chess. You're getting someone who you can trust, someone who you don't mind being in a room with or on a Skype call with for however long. And it's someone that really you're going to reveal your innermost darkest secrets to. Because <laughs> the best way to for me and you to try to help someone get better at chess is to get in their head and try to establish and diagnose the way that they think yeah and so I've, I've kind of come up with almost like a sort of shrink model of how and yeah it's 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 interesting just so yeah i think you just there is the most important thing is trust as with any kind of teacher you need to know that the person who you're paying money to can help you and you need to know that they are aren't going to um, I was going to say upset you but that's not the right <laughs> word I'm looking for but just more that they're going to do, be sort of behave in a way well teaching you that is conducive to your mental yep. health and cuz that's something that's completely ingrained into chess I don't know what do you reckon
2: I'd like your thinking I haven't really framed it in that way before cuz I always come at it from Within the first few minutes of the first lesson, I want to have a conversation with my student about goals and to make sure we're both on the same page and that compatibility that you're thinking of, the kind of building the trust right from the start of uh, essentially checking that it's feasible, first of all, but then also that I'm in a position to help towards meeting those goals.
1: Yeah, John, what do you like when when I was doing the session with you on our stream? Like, what kind of things do you want me to say? Or do you. The questions you ask generally are broad, but.
0: I think for me. And a lot of this is comes down to just my personality. But my, my personality is that I need to, to to understand things. I need to understand them, if that makes sense. So I need to, like, the, I just, the benefit I get from those sessions is that if I have any issue, I can just ask you about it. And you can tell me this is, this is why, this is what is the case. Um, I'm sure not everyone is like that. Um, I'm sure yeah. a lot of other people can be happy just being like, I know there's rules that I don't need to know right now. I can do it as I want. But for me, I guess I'm more the other way around like if anything crops up I like to know because if I feel feel as if I don't understand something then I then I will struggle to understand anything from that point onwards Um, so yeah I think I I guess for me what I'm what I'm really enjoying doing is just going through games and then just picking up little rules here and there and um, that I can then implement in in the games that I'm playing where before I think I would just be like well I could do this move or I could do this move Um, and now I feel as though I'm just I'm a little bit more focused in what I'm doing I I sort of have ideas of what plans might look like um, and I have ideas about what might be a strong move for a piece and and so it's just sort of given me some kind of ordering uh, maybe a little bit more yeah but that's
2: me personally yeah Phil's sort of teaching you or you're learning how to think about the game maybe in a more structured way and yeah no that's that's a very common approach I think from my experience that you uh, you begin to develop these, yeah, rules of thumb, these heuristics that you have in positions that you can rely upon and help sort of frame your thinking around.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you just saying that every time you don't get something, you just fire a question at me and that's great. Um, I find myself with my students who I've seen for a while, or actually, honestly, I do it in schools as well occasionally, where i'm the one asking more questions and i think that's part of the therapy model that i was coming at it from insofar as yeah. i say to someone will i ask them a question they'll give an answer and then i'll go why and then they'll give some kind of like fairly kind of broad thing but i, I really want the specifics because i'm trying to get to know how they think i'm only going to be able to help someone long term if i can know exactly what they're thinking and if that's the wrong way to think in chess then i need to try and change that but really like i said I'm going to be like a two-year-old here. I'm just going to go, why, why, why?
2: Yeah, I, I often say to my junior students, I'll say that I'm going to be nosy yeah. and ask them lots of questions. And they quite like that. I get on well with those, but they sort of get used to me constantly asking them to justify what they're up to.
1: But I think that, um, yeah, from from a, a more sort of operational point of view, if you are paying money to somebody to to have them coach your child or to have them coach you, you you need to go into that process, being prepared to uh, give as much of yourself as possible, because otherwise, if you're not going to get as much out of the game if the person who's trying to teach you how to think doesn't know how you think and you're not and if you're a bit closed off. Um, and I've found that, yes, some students who are always a bit kind of the ones who are a bit cagier are the ones who will enjoy the lessons least. And won't get as much out of them, and you won't see them again. Whereas people mm. who can—I'd like to say I am fairly trustworthy generally, but um, the ones you can sort of let become friends, really. Um, yeah. And I think that's—I think it's important to. Um...
2: It's sort of two paradigms here as well: whether you're looking for quick fixes in your game, or whether you're aiming for some kind of long-term development. And I think you seem to strike me as your. your aiming for the latter model that you want to create this relationship that develops between the coach and the student over a long time and you can work together to address these problems as they arise
1: yeah and i think that's it's more helpful for me to do that because i teach mostly adults yeah so that's that's something that's more more possible um and the the issue with junior coaching in that regard is that kids brains change very quickly and they their personality changes very quickly and you might not see someone for a summer and they come back and they're just a completely different person and then you have to start all over again um which is i think some of the problem with schools teaching in that it's quite because we're dealing with a group not necessarily a huge group but like even 8 or 10 or 12 kids um you do have to do a sort of one size fits all coaching and yeah that is it's going to be a hit with some kids and it's going to be a miss with others and i think that's more challenging to try and find some middle ground somewhere but definitely private coaching therefore is going to be more effective because um you are getting this person-centered tuition and yeah just showing someone how that they they can think and showing someone that they can pretty much do we said last week that any i said that anyone could get to fm mm. um and john absolutely you could there's no reason why and i hope that these sessions that you're getting just prove that there is a, a clearly an innate ability to play like you don't get prodigies without that being a thing but i'm hoping these little sessions that we're doing in the streams are showing you that it's as much about what you put into it as what I tell you and you need to ask the right questions as well
0: what would you say that I'm like as a as a student <laughs> that's an interesting question
1: no I, I every Monday I wake up terrified
0: <laughs> you've um sidestepped the uh the question there which is interesting <laughs> I thought this was therapy surely it, surely it goes both ways
1: no, it's a, it's a pleasure to do these streams with you, and yeah, they are all—all all of our Phil Grills drawn or Let's Grill John—I think I've rechristened it—they uh, are all available in the videos section of our Twitch.
2: Right, it's time for some Christry. So, Chris, what have you got? The Christry this time is sort of a wonky anniversary one, and sort of linked to the um, FIDE announced tournament. So the Steinitz Memorial is termed as such because it's the anniversary of when Steinitz was born. It's almost like they named it the Steinitz Memorial to recognise that fact. Who'd have thought? And so I thought probably we should talk about him given he's the first undisputed world chess champion um, and retained his title for four matches between 1886 and 1894 before losing it to Lasker and then losing again in a rematch to Lasker. So I don't know how much you know about him or what you covered in your session. I have to put my hands up and say, I haven't yet checked yours out. So what were you you looking just from a playing style or a little bit about him?
1: Yeah, we looked at um, a game of his from his 1892 World Championship match against Shigeren, uh, Uh, where he just absolutely romped home in like a 24-move miniature. What
2: was the kind of style of that game broadly? How did he take it on?
1: Yeah, it was very... Well, Shigarin didn't play very well, I don't think. Um, It was very (laughs) kind of cagey. Yeah. It was these D3 and C3 Rylo Perez lines. Yeah. Um, where White just then threw the H-pawn up the board at some point.
2: These have become back into fashion recently, haven't they, as well? It's the kind of way I've seen Fiddler play that way. Uh, yeah, because this is part of why he's kind of considered one of the first sort of modern or more modern chess players. That he was initially something of a hacker and a bit of a kind of, as everybody was uh, at the time, just loads of really uh, ridiculous sacrificial attacking games. And then sort of re branded himself in a more positional way and was termed cowardly by some of his competitors for doing so uh, in the 1870s but then at that point really sort of took a took his game to a different level but then also i uh, took a break of nine years uh, where he didn't play in any tournaments and only played one match uh, to become a kind of chess sports journalist which i thought john you might quite like that uh link or that career break to sort of have a sports journalist style and he apparently has a powerful pen i hadn't read any of his writings <laughs> but i like that phrase nonetheless
1: doesn't, isn't that Pogba? Pogba has a powerful pen in it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but a terrible run-off. <laughs> it was from a book of the 1895 Hastings tournament, where the players uh, sort of compiled this book about each other. Um, and that was in the Steinitz section about his powerful pen. So I thought you would quite like that, perhaps. Yeah, that's cool.
1: It goes back to what you were saying the other week, John, about those kind of times in football it was like considered bad form to pass
2: yeah yeah no exactly that's what i had in mind as well that suddenly he sort of developed the game and at the time nobody was happy about this that we sort of suddenly were defending and that didn't seem fair uh... <laughs>
1: what about him as a person
2: a sharp tongue and a violent temper is what i've read uh i don't know the exact sources of a powerful pen yeah and a powerful pen so um perhaps off the board he was again maybe in contrast to his on the board style of positional chess
1: i mean all i know knew about him before monday when we looked at one of his games was that he had a magnificent beard
0: Mm. yeah yeah
1: That is true. Carl Carlson's doing well, actually, on that front. He's sort of he's he's getting a bit lustrous.
0: Yeah, yeah. I always think Carlson still looks like a twelve-year-old wearing a beard. I don't know whether or not that's because I uh, I sort of hold him up as this sort of child genius who never got to live his youth or whatever, like a like the Michael Jackson of chess or something. Um, Well, you think he looks uh, like one of
1: those where the glasses comes off with the beard? (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. He's just stuck it on, and as soon as the stream goes down, he just takes it off. And we're back with baby-faced Magnus.
1: He's going to be 30 in November.
0: Yeah, I know, but I don't know. He's a fascinating individual, isn't he? Mm. I don't think you can have the life that he's had and be very similar to other people um, but who knows I think he does a good job I think he's remarkably well-rounded for considering that he was essentially like taken out of society at a fairly young age and created into this chess god but um, well maybe that's an unfair representation of it but
1: I, th- I think it might be I think he's he's done a lot of it himself and um, has done well not to become like the chess brat um... yeah
0: no if, I, I, I mean I do agree with that completely and I, I, I do think that he's well-rounded but I do think that it's also the case that he still seems young for his age.
1: Yeah, plausibly. Yeah.
0: Well, we hang out a lot, Magnus and I. So you know, these are all these are all psychological uh, uh, observations based on the time we spent
2: together. How much would you sell your observations on to one of Carlson's rivals for? What's your kind of? Going I don't think my observations
0: would be very useful for, for Magnus's rivals. To be fair. Okay. But maybe they'd be useful for writing a, a biography at some point. Nice. So yeah, we'll see. I don't know if you know anyone who's writing any biographies of
2: Magnus at the moment. Um, but you've got the title, haven't you? Babyface or something along those the baby lines. Babyfaced yeah. assassin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Is it just exclusively Norwegians who get that moniker? Because that's what <laughs> Olle Gunnar Solskjaer yeah. was called as well.
0: Babyfaced in Norway. That's what the uh, the name of the biography will be.
1: And you can do. You can have a foreword by Orling Harland.
0: Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the, it's a series of essays uh, on various Norwegians who look young. Um, so there you go
1: maybe all norwegians look young
0: well it's it's a lot easier to look young in norway isn't it because they have just a lot less to worry about in general um, because (laughs) the health care is better there's a huge amount of space for them all because there's only six million or so in a country that's bigger than england right so yeah essentially Great coastline great coastline.
1: i don't know i thought i've
0: watched too many
1: scandinavian dramas to consider that they don't have anything to worry about everyone seems <laughs> to get mur- like you get 50 murders a year just on these like
0: mordor. <laughs> that's what <laughs> these they call
1: scandy crime dramas and there's a new <laughs> se- series of Shetland coming up which in- invariably gets um one of their episodes set in bergen in norway as yeah. well <laughs> Seems to be heavy gang syndicates in Bergen, based on my watching of Shetland and other crime dramas.
0: I quite like Shetland, actually, so I'm yeah, excited it's... about that.
1: Yeah, we're, we're supposed to be going there in August, um, with, for what would have been my honeymoon, but it's now just going to be a holiday. But it also may not be a holiday, because who knows if Shetland's ever going to reopen, because the Highlands are completely <laughs> yeah. shut. So that might be binned off, which would be a real shame, because yeah, that's pretty much the reason why we chose Shetland, because of the uh, the TV show.
0: Douglas Cren- Crenshaw? No, what's Henshaw. Henshaw. Yeah, there we are. Right, I guess it's time for my silly question, and I must admit I'm struggling with silly questions. Um, whether or not that's because I'm just becoming much more adept at chess in general.
1: I think you need to let go. I think just doing this therapy style uh, approach. Yeah, just just let go of everything you've got. Don't don't worry. <laughs> it's okay. You're not going to look foolish. The whole point of it is that you do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe we need to think of a new feature for me at the end then. So if any of the listeners have got any good ideas for a, for a feature that I can do instead of silly questions. But um, my silly question this week is about tempo. Um, so given that chess is a tempo-based game because the, the moves are uh, c- um, serial, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, my question was, what would happen if you both made your moves at the same time and there weren't, it, wasn't, it was turn-based but not move-based?
2: Ooh. What happens if you both try and move a piece to the same square at the same
0: time? Yeah, well, therein requires a rule change, um, and I'm not sure how it would work. But I do think that there are ways of doing that.
1: Well, you just have it like Paco Sacco, where they sort of either join or they just exist in harmony on the same square and then you can just move it happily off it whenever you want.
0: Or it could be like a points based system where like the more points you have on that square of your own piece, the, there's a precedence given to that. Yeah. So if you move a rook to a place and then a, a, a knight tries to move there as well, then the essentially the knight loses its turn or something like that.
1: Maybe the knight gets um, taken.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a bit more of a stealth maneuver to it because you'd have to both write down your moves and then make them, um, which I think would be quite good.
1: I think we could do this again. We're queuing up the games that we can do once we go back to normality. But I really, prefer, I really like this one as an idea.
2: How do we deal with a clock situation? Is it like a buzzer game where you get well, a I... predefined amount of time to think about each move? I think that's move?
1: likely. Yeah, you'd have like a shot clock.
2: No, you'd have a,
0: you'd have an egg timer. Obviously, yeah, yeah, okay, the most you. superior form of of games timesmanship. Yeah, no, that's okay. perfect. But we'll have to have a think about like the yeah the 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 order of precedent in terms of like making moves. But...
1: <clears> I think that's doable. Yeah, like, I actually I, I think I prefer the idea where they just exist in harmony on the same square. Otherwise, you're going to have arguments over the pieces of the same value of which there are going to be lots.
0: Well, I think yeah. they they just go back, don't they? Oh, it's which like a null move. But then yeah. you have
2: a problem if they go back if you try and play the same move yeah, again well, on the. That's next where set. the
0: that's where the stealth comes in, Chris. Because the question oh, is, okay. do you keep making the same move? Or do you try and think of a clever uh, sub move that then ruins the whole plan? So some kind of
2: game theory element is coming in here i think you'd
0: also not be allowed to make the same move two times in a row right so you can't just to, to just stop it from being a stalemate situation where you just want to keep yeah. making the same moves
1: okay yeah i think i think this is uh this could be a really fun idea
0: Well we'll have a think about it for sure i mean this is one we could feasibly do in terms of like online you could just that it then becomes a, a, a way more different game in terms of the feel right it becomes there's a lot more sort of narrative and you have a conversation and you say this is right this is my move this is your move right how do we resolve this situation uh um, <laughs> which i okay. quite
1: like we could try doing that i'm sure that's 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 the that's quite a nice silly question it's very silly but it's also it's potentially got a, a, res- a resolution
0: anyway we are at the very end of this podcast and that means that we need to have an answer to the quiz so phil
1: we do and uh, it's going to come from you guys hopefully okay so to recap the question uh there is one chess player in the world top 100 right now who shares a surname with a Formula One world champion? Who is that person?
2: I've got nothing. <laughs> Sorry, I can't offer a great deal on this one at the moment. Uh, no inspiration. What about you, John?
0: Yeah, I'm. I am struggling a little bit. Um, I mean, this, the the obvious ones, I think, sort of. I just, I don't know, because all the obvious ones, I think, are sort of like English names. But then I would know them if there was an English grandmaster in the top one hundred. I don't even think there is. Is there?
2: Yeah, there's a few English GMs. Okay. the top hundred, maybe four or five. So I guess
0: you would go with someone like you could go with someone like Hamilton's a sort of general name. Mansell nope. also a sort of fairly general name. Um, phew, other than that, I don't know. Is there a Prost? Is there a not is the reveal nerve <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of like the most general names but
1: there is, there's an Almazi but there's not an As- Ascari mm. which is what you'd need close but no Massa did
0: Massa ever win a world championship
1: no there's no Massa chess player either
0: is it a, is it an old Formula 1 driver
1: um, I mean, Moss blokes... yeah Moss didn't Moss winner, never won he? it Um yeah. the, the world champion you're looking for is from the 1980s Senna mm-hmm. no uh, Louder? Nope.
0: Did Louder ever win?
1: Yeah, he won it in 75, 77 and
0: 84. Mm. Um, Who was, was Louder battling against? Oh, blimey. Um, what was I his mean, name? Yeah,
1: so it's in between... Are you, do you mean James Hunt?
2: Yeah, James Hunt.
1: Yeah, there's no Hunts.
2: Huh. I've come up with quite a few. Are we reliving the plot of Senna the film at the moment? Because <laughs> I feel like I went to go and see that with the, the cinema with you, Phil, at some point.
1: You mean, right? you mean Rush. Oh, I
2: do mean Rush. Rush. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. true. Yeah, That's a good film.
1: So it's the 1980 world champion. If that helps, he's Australian.
2: Is the chess player Australian as well? Chess player is I British. Guess probably not. Chess player is British. Um, so uh, I can do a few. So a Jones, a Howell, a McShane. A I'm glad it's
0: not Howell. It's
1: one of those.
2: Oh, I've already said yeah, it. Maybe it's Howell.
1: No. Uh, okay. I Jones it must be then. Jones. Alan Jones, 1980 okay, wow. world champion, shares Never his surname of... with Gawain Jones. That is the only one. Here we go. Wow.
0: There we are, another quiz in which Chris and I had no idea. <laughs>
1: sixteen out of sixteen.
0: Fortunately, our listeners are far more discerning than us, so I'm sure there's someone out there, possibly in Cambodia, who uh who got the answer <laughs> to that. But that means that we are unfortunately at the end of this podcast, which means you have to wait a whole seven days for another one. Um, but yeah, there is a certain amount of housekeeping things that we have to do. Um the first of which is to say, if you enjoy what we do, please do subscribe to our podcast. do follow us on social media in almost every platform on social media we are at the at chesspit pod. Um, most particularly, I guess, our um, concern is with Twitch. So do go to twitch.tv forward slash ChessBitPod. Phil is doing uh, a lot of sessions there. He's doing three album sessions. He's doing uh, a charity Blitz match and he's doing a lesson with me. Um, so um, I guess if you go to our Twitter page, the details for each each week's schedule is going up there. So that's at ch- chesspitpod.com. On Twitter, and um, finally, thanks to our sponsors, Playfair Capital. Playfair Capital is one of London's leading venture capital funds. And with that, all that is left for me to do is to say thank you, Phil. Thank you, and thank you, Chris. You're very welcome. And we'll be back soon. In it.